You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome back to Chronicle, the history of Newcastle United. I'm Matt Ketchell, football editor at Chronicle Live, and we are back with part two of episode 18, which is titled European Glory. Bob Monker is back with us to discuss the first cup homecoming. Last week, in part one, Bob discussed Newcastle's first ever foray into Europe, the route to the final via games with the likes of Feyenoord and Glasgow Rangers, and winning and scoring in both legs of the final itself in Hungary. Today, he talks us through the trophy parade and his relationship with big Newcastle players of the 60s and 70s era, Brian Pop Robson and Margaret MacDonald. As ever, I'm joined by Paul Joanne, the club's official historian. So settle in and enjoy the stories from a real Newcastle United legend, Bob Mulcair. Bob, you, you obviously, unfortunately, the last Newcastle United captain to lift the trophy, but you mentioned the fair's Cup homecoming. We've got an image here actually that I'm going to flash up on the screen um, for people watching on our YouTube channel or on the video that I upload to Chronicle Live's website. This is the homecoming. I assume you're there with Willie McFaul. You've got the first cup in your hand and your right hand, lifting it up proudly. Yeah. I, I assume it looks like you've just alighted the bus and are you bringing it back into St James's Park? Well, I can just have, have we've got time and tell a little story. But when we flew back in to Newcastle, and don't forget in my mind, it wasn't a massive occasion, you know. All, all through the all through the competition, we just kept winning game after game after game. Maybe he's not realised how big it was going to be back for the Newcastle fans. But when we got back, uh, we flew up, we flew back, and we got into Newcastle Airport in the afternoon, I think it was. And um, I remember um, somebody came up and said to me, "The boss says you've got to take the cup out first, out the plane." And I'm going, "What do you mean out the plane for?" He says, "You've got to be the first out the plane door with the cup. And I thought it was a, a Mickey take. I said, okay, if you ever must. And I remember stepping out and, you know, the, the old-fashioned plane, the door goes up like that mm. and the steps go down. And I remember standing there and the, it still makes me emotional yet. The, it was like if you stepped off in a foreign country, you know, the heat hits you. This noise came from the, the old Newcastle Airport building. People lined up there all over the place in the roar and i remember thinking this is important and then um, well obviously got on the bus lined a lot of the way down and there's another classic story you might have to cut some of this out man there was a classic <laughs> story we didn't have um for you younger people there was no dual carriageway to the airport in them days you had to go through Wolsing, through kenton bankfoot and there's a low bridge there isn't it mm -hmm. now because there's a low bridge there we couldn't get a double decker. So somebody improvised and got a single decker bus because it would get under the bridge as against a double decker. And what they did was they put a seat in the middle of this single decker bus. Uh, so they put a, a, a table so as we could stand on the table and put our hands uh -huh. with a cup. So, the, so now can you imagine? We're going <laughs> along and it was a Armstrong's bus, green and white Armstrong's bus. We used to take us everywhere. We're going through uh, Wolsing village, 
with a bridge, Kenton Bankfoot, sorry, going through Kenton Bankfoot Bridge. And I've got the couple like this because there's a lot of people out at that time. And all of a sudden, there's a big bang. <laughs> and I've hit electric wires and it sparks everywhere. And the fact that I was stood on a wooden table probably saved my life. Oh my God. Oh, God. A mark on the cop where the wires had been because, you know, obviously single decker buses, I was just too high up, bang. And there was a mark on that cup to even when we handed it back, they couldn't get the mark off. <laughs> but I thought that was some homecoming, that, you know, back with a bang, dead. Um, so then we went to James's Park, down the down Barrack Road. And again, we're not really sure what reception we're going to get. But the whole city stopped, people taking time off work. And I remember coming just down Barrack Road towards the ground, and you could, there used to be the stand in the Leeds end, there used to be a gap. And yeah, I could see, we could see the place was packed. There must have been 40,000 people in the ground, uh, plus the fact the ones you see in the car park, all the rest of it. Just an amazing, amazing homecoming. You can see all the people in the background there. And there's a bus. That's a bus at the back. Yeah. And, and there's some photographs of us actually showing the cup out the roof of the bus. But that was a, that was a story which I'll, I'll never forget. The fantastic. And then on the pitch, as I say, loads of people took time off work and went around the pitch and... It was just a, a great occasion, one of the best occasions in my life. Absolutely, yeah, I can imagine. And uh, you spoke about some of your teammates there. Paul, I was wondering if you could give us a quick roll call of, of the team um, who won the first cup for Newcastle in 1969. Yeah, well, as Bob said, it was a it was a hard-working uh, side uh, with a great spirit. Um, Willie McFall between the posts, and he had developed into one of the country's best goalkeepers. Uh, David Craig, Frank Clark uh, as, were top full-backs. Centre of defence saw Bob with uh, either Ollie Burton or John McNamee, uh, two pretty solid and fearsome uh, centre-backs. Midfield had two workers and Tommy Gibbon, Danish lad Benny Arentoft. And on the flank saw Jim Scott and Jackie Sinclair with a young Alan Foggin uh, breaking into the side. And up front, of course, uh, Big Win Davies, uh, who the Continentals could never handle, uh, partnered Pop Robson. Um, and we've covered big win in a previous episode, uh, um, but you know Pop Robson was uh, had two, three great seasons at that time for Newcastle United. Mm. Bob, any special particular memories of this legendary group? Oh yes, I think um, the biggest thing about them was it was a team spirit. Uh, there was probably, I would say, there was probably two groups uh, in the team off the field. There was golfers and some of the lads like to go racing. But, but on the so that was a sort of natural group. There was golfers and people who want to go racing and one thing. But on the pitch, one hundred percent, everybody behind each other. No, no, no prima donnas. You know, everybody just did their job, did it as well as they could, and we had no. And even when things were tough, we still dug in, and I think that was the proof of the pudding in the final. We managed to come back from absolutely getting hammered and still perform decently. But it was just a great. A, a, a joy to play with, you know, really, and, you know, I was skipped. Obviously, I get, I got, I'm getting a lot of credit for the fierce cup thing, but really, it, it was, it wasn't about me. It was about the team. It was team spirit. I was lucky enough to score the goals, but that's maybe reflected away from the, the actual, the great team spirit we had. And uh, I look back and think, and I'm often asked, which is the best team you've ever played in Newcastle? Uh, I would say we were the most talented team I played with in Newcastle or captain was the, was the final, the cup final team. Talented, I say, but the most, um, the best team 
I mean that the best team would definitely be the Fierce Cup because of the team spirit, which is probably maybe he's not as good in the Fierce in the, the FA Cup final '74. Talent, more talented players. It's not always about talented players; it's about team spirit. Mm. And we often do player focuses on on what we call cornerstone players of Newcastle United's history. <laughs> and uh, Paul mentioned we covered Win Davies last episode, and uh, Brian Pop Robson definitely qualifies. Paul, so can you tell us a bit about Pop, please? Yeah, well, in that season of 68-69, he, he scored 30 goals all, all told, including seven in the first cup run. Um, uh, and he had a wonderful time at that point in his uh, career. Um, although born in Sunderland, uh, Brian was raised in the Tyne Valley at Prudhoe, um, and he joined Newcastle as a kid in November 1962. Uh, he wasn't a big striker. He was five foot eight, five foot nine, uh, but he was stocky and, and could hit a cracking shot netting several spectacular goals uh, at St James's Park. And maybe he should have been capped for England. Uh, he was he was tipped on a number of occasions, but he never got that uh, call up. And by the time he left Newcastle, after falling out with Joe Harvey, he scored 97 goals in 244 games. So, so that was a pretty good record. He was nicknamed, of course, Pop um, from the Kellogg's Rice Krispie advert which still is on the go today uh, um, you know he was the pop after uh, snap crackle and pop uh, who were three friends when he was growing up in Prudhoe and he moved to West Ham for a big fee and he scored another and uh, over 100 goals for the Hammers uh, and, and now is back in in, in the Tyne Valley in retirement uh, great lad Bob anything to say particularly maybe about the, the Win Davies pop Robson combination well, I think um, I think in my mind, Pop Robson was an absolutely fantastic goal scorer. The one thing about him, unlike some players, you know, we've heard in the past about when Pop had a chance, he would almost certainly hit the target. He would very rarely blaze him over the bar. He used to always hit the target, and he had he had two good feet as well, left foot, right foot. Didn't matter how it came to him, he could always get a shot on target. And the and the biggest um, compliment I can play to Callum Wilson. He's a similar type of player. You know, they always hit the target, don't they? They always seem to know inside the box. They've got the conscious of where everybody is, and they hit the target. And I think that's very, very important. Pop was a master at that. And I've, many is a time when things have been going too well. And Pop, uh, I couldn't shout at Paul, uh, at Pop. If I gave Pop a rollicking, he didn't like that. So I had to go and say, Robo, we need you now. Come on, give it, you know, do it. And I put my arm around and I, then he would, off he would go. He was, he, he needed that natural sort of confidence. But, when he was down, just a little one easy, and he, off he was again. And he was a not, not a not a cocky player at all. Just a good player, knew his business, worked very hard to become what he did. And there's famous stories about him when he um, when he was a youngster, and or when he was playing, he wasn't the sharpest. But his his um, father-in-law, whose name help me out here, Paul Len Len Heppel. Len Heppel, who was a, yeah. a dancer, you know, proper international dancer. He used to get him and say, Pop, you need to be sharper. And because of his, his um, dance training, he got Pop um, being quicker and more and more confident because Pop was quite shy. And there's a famous story about um, Lenny lived in uh, Hexham. And in the summertime, Lenny got a hold of him and says, right, I'm going to make you more confident. I'm going to make you sharper. And uh, he got him in and he, he said he went in the, one of the parks in Hexham. And then he says, right, I'm going to go on, I'm going to go forward and I'm going to um, hide behind a tree and you're going to have to shout, Lenny, Lenny, where are you? 
true story. And then he would go, and that was to get Paul at um, Pop's confidence, not to be embarrassed. And he was going, he says, I'm going down in this. Hey, hey, where are you? And people looking at him, if it was nuts. But that was just one of the great stories about uh, Pop and uh, great player, should have been capped for England. That, that was the disgrace that was. Uh, he should have been capped. And I think um, one of the finest goal scorers, and we've had many at Newcastle, but he was one of them. Mm. And, and for the next two seasons, after the 68-69 campaign, United were involved in Fairs Cup action. And Paul, what were some of the standout games from those European campaigns? Well, there was a couple of special ties really uh in 1969-70 we played Anderlecht in the quarterfinal they were a, a top outfit uh with some wonderful players like Paul Van Himst and Ove Kinval United were 2-0 down from the first leg but in front of 60,000 uh the road back to 2-2 with Bob scoring then took the lead again. um <laughs> then in the dying minutes and I'll never forget this guy's name Thomas Nordahl he was related to a famous player of the 40s from Sweden and he picked up a loose ball in the dying seconds and, and struck a great shot into the net and United were out on the way of goals uh, and that, that was uh, a, a, a remarkable night but that was surpassed the following season really in 1970-71 we played International or Inter Milan to us but in England it was a game to me personally that was the pick of them all Inter was so huge with many famous names from the, the World Cup in 1970. Uh, people like Mazzola and Facchetti in United recorded a great draw in the San Siro in the first leg, and then 60,000 watched them. Just a truly amazing night of football at St. James's Park. Um, United opened uh, up a 2-0 lead, and then the Italians only had one answer to that, um, and that was pure thuggery. They had no answer to Newcastle playing football and, and getting the advantage. Apart from repeated fouls and nasty tackles, uh, there was even an assault on on the referee uh, with a lovely right hook. <laughs> you know, the guy, the goal, it was the actual goalkeeper, Vieri, uh, was sent off uh, for striking the referee in the um, Gallagher then goalmouth. Police were on the pitch to calm the Italians down um, and restore order, and uh, Newcastle eventually won by that 2 0 scoreline. And it was just a remarkable night, which. Uh, had the crowd uh, in uproar, really. One of my uh, memories of it was I couldn't believe, and this is a great picture, again, you go to the Chronicle, um, go back in time, and you'll see, I think, a policeman marching the goalkeeper off, arm up his back, marching him around the track, and you think, isn't that a fantastic, <laughs> fantastic thing? Incidentally, Paul, you didn't mention, I think I was the one that scored that night, near post header, and that's what started the riot. That's why he got all upset, because I scored. Right, yes. I think, I think that's what I remember tying the two together when I scored that goal. He finished up and he got banned for two years from a, a, a playing international football, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Yeah, it was just, it was, I can picture that night vividly in my yeah. mind, even now. It was just uh, all right, not for the pure f football, but just for the the, 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 the stage of, 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 of it all. It was just magnificent. You know? I mean, it is. We've we've focused obviously for obvious reasons mostly on Europe for this episode. But Paul, can you bring us up to speed with how Newcastle got on domestically during this era? Yeah, well, apart from the jetting around Europe uh, in league and cup action uh, or domestic cup action for those three seasons, United were 
a bit of an inconsistent side mid-table uh, and, and really Europe took centre stage without doubt. Uh, there was an eye-catching FA Cup tie with, with the champions Manchester City in 68-69 uh, when over two games which were watched in front of 60,000 crowds both at St James's Park and at the Old Main Road, uh, United eventually lost 2-0. But after the, the three years of well, before the, before the end of the three years of European football, Joe did spend some of the money that he earned through the Fairs Cup. He, he, he splashed out £100,000 on Aberdeen's Jimmy Smith, uh, a genius on the ball uh, in midfield, and, and he became a great favourite of, of the supporters over the next uh, three or four years. And more cash was soon to be splashed out as, as the boss uh, started to change United side with a makeover in uh, 1970-71. Bob, any insight into why Joe Harvey maybe wanted to change things? We know he lost Brian Pop Robson when he went to West Ham. Then, of course, uh, somewhat confident Cockney centre-forward arrived, Malcolm McDonald. But why do you think he uh, changed <laughs> yeah, things up? Yeah, well, I think, uh, I think about Joe. Joe understood the fans very, very well. And I think they always needed they always needed a, like a, an entertainer or somebody who was the man on the pitch. And you, you look back, he bought uh, he bought Tony Green. Well, you thought Jimmy Smith was the first one, real artist. And the crowd, when Jimmy was playing, even if we got beat, it wasn't quite so bad because he entertained and he was just a, a genius at knocking the ball around, sticking it through people's legs. He was the first guy I ever saw doing the nutmegs regularly. And I used to train against him. And and the rest of the lads as well. We used to train with our legs shut because the thing was, don't get nutmegged. And Jinky was just a master at doing that. And then, of course, Tony Green came on the scene. And he, um, in my mind, one of the best players I've ever seen. And unfortunately, he got, he got injured. And he, but I think he, I said, he became a legend in 37 games because the fans actually remember Tony Green is a great player, great entertainer. A little bit like Peter Beasley was, get the ball, attack players. You know, you don't, you know, really got the ball and just said, I'm going to take him on and he'll go at you. And of course, Supermac, there's not a lot of compare, but Supermac, him and I used to be loggerheads on the pitch regularly. Um, now we're sort of very, and we, we fell out a few times, but we're the best of pals now. Age gets to you, doesn't it? But Mark and I used to have many, many battles about, he, I used to say to him, you're not doing this and you're not doing that. And typical Martin, my job is to score goals. You give me the ball. And that, there's not a lot you could say because he did. And he was dynamic, absolutely dynamic. When he picked, Camille says to me, he was the most, one of the most exciting players. Whenever he got the ball, you, and you know, even us, we say, oh, that's the mortgage paid because he would just go past people. And he didn't have a lot of, he wasn't like a Peter Beers who could take people on or a Tony Green. Martin just got the, the ball and on his left foot. And I used to train against him. I know very, very much how good he was. I used to train against him and know that he was going to go to the left because his right foot was useless. And so I used to actually know that he was going to go left. But he would just look at me and just more or less say, I know you know I'm going to go left, but I'm just too quick for you and I'm too strong. And he just, he just, you know, I was quite physical. But if you hit Markham, you knew you'd hit him because he was like, he was like, Ton of bricks because his pace and his strength as well. And his left back was just uh, famous. It was fantastic. On his left back, bang, terrific. Mm. And uh, I just say him and I had many, many arguments about it. And he, he, you know, I'm not afraid to say that because we've talked about it. But he was just uh, a one-off super player. Um, and you're right what you say, cocky, arrogant, 
all these things, but that's what made him a great player. He just wanted to put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, well, for, from a fan's point of view, you know, we, we've just experienced three magnificent years playing in Europe with the Wynn Davies and Bob Moncur side, the, the first cup side, and then we were just going to start another five years of the Super Mac era, and it was just magnificent being a Newcastle supporter, uh, even though uh, in domestic football we never actually won anything, but we were entertained and we were excited virtually every game that we went to. Mm. And we're going to be covering the Supermark era in next week's episode. And yes, the man himself is going to join us along with his best mate, John Gibson, legendary chronicle oh, writer. The two of them together, yes. not, you will not get awarded Edgewish. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's I... the idea. That's the idea. We want we want the stories and uh, I'm sure both of them will, will give us them. Um of course, both still columnists for Chronicle Live today. They've got a lot to say. So, and they're going to join us for a, a special in-person recording of Chronicle to discuss that era. So, so don't miss it, listener. Um, Bob, it's been a real honour to speak to you for this. We're thoroughly enjoying combing through the history of the club era by era. And to get your contribution to the first Cup episode has been really, really special. Um, and I speak for everyone else listening and everyone watching and everyone at Chronicle Live when I say thank you so much for, for joining us and, and doing what you did as a player in the 60s and 70s. Pleasure. Absolutely enjoyable. Yes, good. So, yeah, that's it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have any uh, Newcastle United history stories or observations, facts, stats, memorabilia, you name it, uh, you can email us at the eibwpodcast at reachplc.com or tweet me at Ketchell on Twitter. Please subscribe to the Everything is Black and White podcast via whichever podcast platform you are using and follow Chronicle Live's Newcastle United channels on social media. We're at Chronicle NUFC on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And if you're enjoying what we're doing with this history series, a nice five-star review on iTunes would be brilliant if you uh, have the time to do that. And last one from me, please stay up to date with Everything Black and White by subscribing to Chronicle Live's daily Newcastle United newsletters. These are free. A link to sign up to them is in our show notes. If you hit that and scroll down to Sport Newcastle United Updates, you can tick the box and you'll be signed up. Thanks so much for listening to Chronicle, the history of Newcastle United, with me, Matt Ketchell, Paul Joannou, and our very special guest, Bob Moncur. <laughs>